Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And in this episode, I want to talk to you about authority. Specifically, I mean the source material from which we get our authority for what we do religiously. In other words, I want to talk to you about the Bible. I truly believe that a lot of people believe in Jesus, but they do not believe in the Bible. Oh, it's a good book, even a great book, but is it the book? What I want to do, first of all, is to show that the Lord himself made it clear that we do, in fact, need authority for our spiritual activities. Secondly, I want to show that our Lord also made it clear, in various ways, that the source material from which we derive that authority is the Word of God, found in the pages of the Bible. Now, the word Bible is the equivalent of the Greek Biblia, meaning originally books. You may have heard of the Latin translation of the Bible done by Jerome in the 4th century. It is referred to as the Latin Vulgate translation, but Jerome did not call it the Bible. His title for that completed translation was the Divine Library. Over time and general usage, the plural moved to the singular, and it became known as the book. Chaucer and Wycliffe were the first ones to refer to it in English as the Bible. Now, authority comes from the Greek word exousia, and literally it means it is lawful. The word has had a change in meaning over the years. Initially, it meant the liberty to do whatever you pleased. Then it came to mean the ability or strength with which one is endued. Then it came to mean the right to exercise power or the power of rule or government. For a simple working definition of authority as it relates to religion, it would be the right to act given by the one who has the right to give it. If we all just think about it for a minute, we can recognize the need for authority in practically every area of our lives. Just try to run a city, or a business, or a school, or even a home for that matter, without authority. There would be utter chaos. Nothing would ever get accomplished. That being the case, and we know it is, we must recognize the same need in the most important area of all, religion. Let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 27. In that passage we find, And when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said to them, I will ask you one thing too, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? From heaven 
or from men. And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they all hold John to be a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. He also said to them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. I read that passage because it shows us several things. First, it shows us that the chief priests and elders recognized the need for authority in religion. They said, By what authority are you doing these things? They also recognized that authority must come from the one who has the right to give it. Thus they continued with, And who gave you this authority? The Lord's answer shows that there are only two possible sources of authority in religion, heaven or men, or in other words, divine or human. Many people say, we don't need authority for everything we do religiously. What they are really saying is that they don't believe we need God's authority for everything we do in religion, but they are more than willing to do something based upon their own or someone else's authority. Understand that man can and does act in religion without authority from God. The question is, when they do so, do they have God's approval? Real quickly, consider 2 John 9-11 through and what it means in the study of authority. John wrote, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching... He has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. The teaching of Christ can be either the doctrine Christ taught, subjective genitive, or the doctrine about Christ, objective genitive. I believe it is subjective in the sense of the teaching which derives from Christ and has his authority. Staying within the source material springing from Christ and invested with his authority gives the person's wonderful fellowship with Jesus and the Father. Step outside of that realm, move into the realm of human authorization in religion, and the unique fellowship with the Father and the Son is severed. Okay, but why the Bible? I've had people say you can't go to the Bible to prove its inspiration because that is assuming to be true what you have to prove. That's like saying you can't go to the actual crime scene to examine the evidence contained therein, the internal evidence, to find out the truth. I contend that it is the only place you can go, or at least the primary place, if you want to find out the truth. So let's turn to the scriptures. And by the way, when we pick up the Bible, the book that we are holding is absolutely unique. It was written over a 1500 year span, written over 40 generations, by more than 40 authors from all different walks of life, from peasants to kings. It was written in different places and different times by men in different moods. It was written on three continents and in three languages. The writings themselves belong to a great variety of literary types, including history, law, civil and criminal, ethical, ritual, even sanitary. There is religious poetry, didactic treatises, 
parables and allegories, biographies, personal correspondence, and distinctively biblical types of prophecy and apocalyptic. And it is really all about one thing, God's redemption of man. There is nothing else like it. What does the book call itself? Within its pages, it is called simply the book, the book of the Lord, the book of the law, the good word of God, the holy scriptures, the law of the Lord, the oracles of God, scriptures of truth, the sword of the spirit, the word, the word of Christ, the word of life, the word of truth. Of all of the ways that the creator and sustainer of the universes, of all things, could have chosen to communicate his will to us, this book, the Bible, is the way he chose, and these words are the words that he used. As 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, all scripture is inspired by God, or more literally, God breathed. When you pick up the Bible and begin to read, you are reading God's words. Not what some man thinks about God, or what some man thinks God might want you to know or do. Look at several passages in the source material to show that this is true. In Isaiah 34 and verse 16, we find, Seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. None will be lacking its mate. For his mouth has commanded and his spirit has gathered them. Move on to chapter 59, verse 21. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring offspring, says the Lord, from now and forever. Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 7 verse 12, And they made their hearts like flint, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Let's go to the New Testament, beginning with 1 Corinthians 2, verses 12 and 13. Paul wrote, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. And for this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And let us not forget Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, where the Hebrew writer wrote, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. These passages, my friends, are just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. There are bountiful passages in the scripture claiming direct, verbal, and plenary inspiration from God. Would this book still be around at all if it was a lie? An older preacher years ago, in a time when I was feeling particularly frustrated by what I perceived as unnecessary restraints in the Word of God, picked up the Bible and very strongly stated, 
This is all we have. And he was right. And rather than feeling limited or restricted by it, we should rejoice in the marvelous characteristics it contains that no other book contains. What are some of those characteristics? Well, one of my favorite passages is found in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In our modern Western world, this figure is understandable, but we really don't get the full import of what David was saying. In the ancient East, and to a certain extent even today, the streets of the towns are narrow, not lighted or very well kept, and at dark at night due to the high walls of the houses on either side. Walking down those streets, the traveler will find holes, muddy places, and large loose stones. In order to walk safely, a man must not only have a lamp, he must hold it right down to his feet so that its light may guide the exact placement of each step. That is the point. God's word is not just a general light for the guidance of our overall walk. It is something to hold close for direction of each and every step we take. That's a marvelous characteristic of God's word. It is relevant to all possible human experiences and dangers. It gives general principles and moral strength, and it gives precise counsel meant to guide our actual conduct in every circumstance and situation provided we obey it. Still another characteristic of the Bible is that it is effective. Consider Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. It tells us, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bear and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Rain and snow fall, nourishing the earth. They cause vegetation and life to flourish, providing seed to the sower and bread for food. The water does not return until it has accomplished its purpose, and then it returns in the form of vapor to begin the cycle anew. And so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. The word fulfills God's purpose in the hearts of those who draw near to it. It will affect the results that he desires. When it is heeded, his word completely changes the lives of people. When it is rejected, it effectively judges the one who has rejected it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 if you have your Bible with you. It's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For we find there, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is not some dead letter. It is a living manifestation of the will of God, going wherever he pleases and accomplishing his will. In addition to being living and active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the word is referred to as the sword of the Spirit. It is the word of God, which, in the beautiful imagery of Revelation, is depicted as proceeding out of the mouth of the conquering Christ in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 15. 
Looking at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, I believe that we can summarize it this way. The Word of God is first living, then it is full of power and energy, then it divides and lays bare the soul and the spirit, even to the extent of their joints and morrows, or deepest thoughts, and then rising above that part of man's nature, it enters into the realm of his ideas, affections, and desires, and passes judgments on the thoughts and the purposes of his heart. All of these things are characteristic of this book, the Bible. Is there more? Oh, yes, there is. In James chapter 1, verse 21, we find, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In John 12, verse 48, we read, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Finally, I want to drive home the point that God's word, as we now have it, is complete and total and all-sufficient for all that God desires. Remember Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, while all of God's word is completely inspired and absolutely true, it is Jesus who possesses all authority today. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. The authority of Jesus Christ is set forth in the New Testament, and that is where the authority for our religious practices of today is to be found, not in the Old Testament. Colossians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 teaches us that the Old Testament was a shadow of things to come. The reality is Christ. In Hebrews 9, we are taught of the inherent imperfections of the old law and the establishment of the new with the death of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 tells us, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The New Testament is God's message for man today as far as authority for our religious beliefs and actions are concerned. It is a divine message. It is a complete message. It is the message of salvation. And it is the final message. It is absolutely and totally unique. If you believe in Jesus, what you know of him came from this book, the Bible. I hope that clears up some things and thank you for listening.